0: hey welcome to the steamboat christian center podcast where our greatest goal is to love god and love people if you would like more information about our church please visit us on social media or at steamboat.church we're so glad you joined us today let's jump into this week's message If you haven't been with us for a while, if you haven't been following online, we are now ending a series that we started a few weeks ago called Stuck. Everybody say Stuck. Stuck. And uh, if you haven't watched online or if this is your first time, hey, I really encourage you to go to slash messages, and you can catch up on all these messages. They've been very helpful and encouraging and challenging to all of us. But uh, if you haven't been here, let me catch you up. The genesis of this, uh, this uh, series has been a, a question, a simple but very, very difficult and hard question. And that question is this, what do you do <laughs> when there's nothing that you can do? What do you do when you're stuck? What do you do when you're stuck in life? When life has given you something and you just can't get out of it. You, there's just no way forward and no way backwards. Um, what, if you do, what do you do if your marriage is, is stuck a little bit, you know? And you don't want to get a divorce. You don't want to quit. But you just know that things aren't probably going to get much better. And this is just the way it is. What do you do? What do you do if one of your kids, you know, has gone, kind of gone off the rails a little bit? And uh, maybe they're making some bad decisions Um, That are hurting themselves and hurting other people. And there's just nothing that you can do. You feel helpless and hopeless with that. Or what do you do if uh, maybe a doctor has called you and given you a bad report? Um, You're probably not going to die, but it's not going to get better. They've told you this is the way it's going to be, this is the new normal for you. What do you do when there's no way forward and no way out? Well, um, you know, one of the things that we do do that's not good, and we've been talking about this the last few weeks, is that it's easy for us to begin to believe in some lies, to believe some lies that we tell ourselves, some thoughts go through our head, begin to kind of look at our situation and we go, you know what, I just don't think I'm ever going to be happy again. I'm never going to be happy again. Some of us just start fantasizing about the good old days, about going back to, going back to middle school, the last time that we were happy. Remember those days, the good old days or high school? And you're like, boy, at least I was happy back then, right? Um, or, you know, maybe we kind of start to think, you know, gosh, there's just nothing that's good that can come from this situation. I just don't see how anything good. Pastor Troy, I know what you're going to tell me. You're going to tell me that God is going to use this for something good, but I don't want to hear it. Because I have gone through this pain for so long and I just don't see how it can get better. Or maybe that's you get to that ultimate place where you begin to kind of go, you know what? Um, there's just really no point in continuing. No, I just want to give up. I, I, I don't see this marriage getting better. I don't see this job getting better. I don't see my finances, finances getting better and I just want to kind of give up. You know, one of the things that I've tried to do over the last few weeks is uh, remind you of a truth. And this is the truth, and that is that the people who brought us the Bible, who especially brought us the story of Jesus, well, they were not strangers to adversity. They, they, their lives were filled with all kinds of troubles. When you look at the stories of their lives, um, they endured persecutions and troubles and trials, and it was just a normal part of their everyday lives. And yet, they continued to believe They they didn't bail out. They continued to hang in there with God. And they didn't see a contradiction that sometimes you and I see. They didn't see a contradiction between serving a good God and having bad things happen in your life. So often we in America kind of have that experience and we kind of look up and we're like, God, if you're so good, if God is such a good God, why would you allow this to happen to me? They didn't see that contradiction. They seemed to know something that you and I often forget. And that is is that just because you're going through a difficult season, just because you're going through a difficult time, doesn't mean that God is absent, that God has left you, or that God is apathetic, that he doesn't care, or it doesn't mean that God is angry with you, which is something that we often tell ourselves, right? Um, Even though it sometimes feels like he is, The truth is, is that God is not absent, he is not apathetic, and he is not angry with you. The truth is, is that God is at work in your life, doing something in you and through you that he couldn't do any other way. And so, if we could just believe that, if we could just kind of get that into our heart, um, you and I, we could persevere, (laughs) through all kinds of adversity. And we would experience all kinds of miracles in our life. I believe that. In fact, that's the word that I want to talk to you about this morning. This is a word that you're not going to be excited to hear. It's been a long time since you had church, and you probably wanted a different word, but we're going to talk about the word persevere. Everybody say persevere. Yeah, it got kind of the response that I thought it would, but persevere. It's not one of those things that we like to talk about, but you need to understand that over and over and over again, Jesus and the apostles encouraged you and I to persevere, to push through, especially, especially when we're going through a difficult season that, uh, that we didn't ask for and we certainly didn't deserve, which is kind of what has been happening this last year. Amen? And so there are several books in the Bible, that kind of talk about this subject, but I chose my favorite book, um, the book of James, to look at this. And I did that in part because of the person who wrote it. Um, it's interesting. One of the things that we should do when we read a book of the Bible is we should know a little bit about the person who wrote it because it'll help us get a little context. It'll help us give uh, maybe a little bit of credibility to their words, knowing their story. And uh, James only wrote one book. In, in the Bible. One book in the New Testament. Um, and, uh, but it's my favorite, like I said. Partly because it's just so darn practical. I mean, even a caveman can get what he's talking about here. And, uh, but here's an interesting thing about James. James had a very famous brother. Does anybody know who the brother of James was? You're being very shy. Come on, talk to me. Jesus, that's right. James, think about this. James grew up with Jesus. Jesus. He grew up in the same house as Jesus, as a child, as a teenager. He saw Jesus grow up. He was part of that. I don't know what you're reading right now. I don't know what newspaper or magazine or book you're reading. I'll tell you what. James would be a good book to read. Here's a guy who grew up with Jesus, right? It's just fascinating to me to think about that. And and let me just ask you a question. Um, What would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the son of God? A lot, right? I mean, you'd be like, wait a second. You could do all the miracles you want. I'm still not believing that you're the son of God, brother. It ain't gonna work. We know our siblings too well. But that's the reality. James believed that. In fact, he believed it so much so that he gave his life declaring it. He was thrown off of the temple and was killed because of his faith and belief that Jesus was the son of God. But here's the interesting thing about James. James didn't always believe He didn't always believe. It's interesting, when you read the Gospels, the story of Jesus, James is never mentioned at all. He's not mentioned in there at all. And uh, it's kind of interesting. And you wonder, why is that? Well, number one, James wasn't one of Jesus' disciples. He didn't follow him around and do any of that. He wasn't really on the scene. Um, The truth is, is it's clear that James didn't become a believer until much later. In fact, it wasn't the miracles of Jesus that convinced them, and it wasn't the teachings of Jesus that convinced them, and it wasn't uh, even the death and the crucifixion that convinced him. It was, it was the resurrection that convinced him. When James, James didn't become a believer until he learned that Jesus had risen from the dead, and it changed everything for him. Now, you may say, well, he took advantage of that. He jumped on the coattails. No, no, no. Uh, The decision that James made to become a follower and a believer of Jesus did not make his life easier. It made it a lot harder. James was part of the church that was in Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem at this time was under intense persecution. I mean, every day, people were being uh, arrested and beaten and even put to death for their faith in Jesus, for following Jesus. The Romans and the Jews were very angry about this new movement thing that was happening. And so James wrote a letter to be read at and to the Jerusalem church and also to other believers that were scattered about who were enduring deep persecution and being attacked for their faith. And in this letter, James basically says this, If you're going through a difficult time, if you're stuck in a situation that doesn't look like it's going to get any better, there is one thing you got to do. There's one thing that you should do. I want to jump into that with you today. James chapter 1, if you're following along, verse 1, this is James's letter to the church and to us today. And this is what he does. He introduces himself. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ the Lord, uh, you catch this? James is calling his brother Lord. Now, I grew up, and I had a little brother, and I tortured that guy. Constantly. I did whatever I could. I'd get on top of him, and I'd give him noogies, and I'd give him wet willies, and I would give him a pink belly to try to get him to just say one thing. Uncle! right? Call me your uncle. I am your uncle, and he wouldn't do it. I mean, I did the meanest things to him, and he never would, and I wonder what did Jesus do to cause James, his brother, to call him Lord and Master, amen? If you're not a believer, that at least caused you to investigate Jesus, amen? That's pretty big. That is pretty big, and so then James says something even crazier after he introduces himself. And it's totally counterintuitive. It's totally opposite of what we would think. He says this in verse 2. He says, consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Really. I know that the first time I read that, I had to go back and read it again because I'm like, I certainly got this wrong. Is he telling us to be happy when stuff starts hitting the fan in our life, who does that? I remember reading that and I'm thinking, that's stupid. Am I the only one? I'm not going to do that. And in fact, I'm not telling you now. I would never tell you to do that. But this is James, the brother of Jesus. And this is him saying that. And so he goes on. He says, he says consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, Of many kinds. That word face there is an interesting word in the Greek. It's often used to describe something like being robbed, a robbery, or being shipwrecked. It was used to describe something that happened unexpectedly to you, uh, something that was surprising to you. You're just going along, and all of a sudden, boom, something happens, and now you are facing something difficult and something hard, right? And so James is telling you and I, let me reread this to you. James is saying, listen, when something unexpectedly hits you, when something unexpectedly hits your life, when a doctor calls you and says, hey, I have a a little bit of bad news for you. Or maybe your son, out of nowhere, calls you from jail. Says, dad, I got some bad news. Or maybe your boss calls you into the office and says, I have some bad news. James would say, hey, listen, instead of assuming the worst, instead of letting your faith tank, instead of going into a funk because of these things, I want you to consider the possibility that this adversity might actually become the source of something good. I want you to change your mindset about your troubles. Now, again, I would never tell you to do that. But this is James, the brother of Jesus, right? And he goes on in verse 3. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because, because you know that the testing of your faith produces. Now, let me just hit the pause button here before I tell you what it produces. Um, this is a huge statement by James. Uh, this, this testing of your faith is a huge statement because James is admitting, he's admitting something that you and I have kind of suspected all of our lives, and that is, is that whenever you and I go through hardships, our faith is being tested. Something is being measured in us, and James is validating what you and I kind of already know, and that is, is that our trials put our faith on trial that our trials cause our faith to be put on the witness stand and have to give testimony to what they see and what they really believe. And that's weird. That's hard for us. And so one of the things that you and I like to do is we don't want to deal with that. We want to flip it around, and we want to use our trials to put God on trial. Right? Our trials come into our life, and we stop, and we, we look up, and we're like, God, why? I mean, really? I've been good, man. I'm doing good. I've been going to church every week. Well, I haven't been going to church. I've been watching church every week. I, I've, been, I've been doing good. I've been doing nice things. I've been tithing. Why? Why would you allow this to happen to me? We put God on trial. But the truth is, is that trials put our faith on trial. They reveal our faith in God. They reveal how much we trust God. And I'm, I just love the fact that James put this in here because it helps me see that he knows what we are thinking when we're going through these things. And so he's identifying. He's like, I get it. Trials kind of shake you to the core here a little bit. And so finally, James kind of takes us into an uncomfortable area. And here he is in verse 3. He says this. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces, and here's the word, perseverance. Again, got the exact response that you're like, goody. Yay. But I want you to hear this. Think about this. James is saying that our trials produce faith, produce persevering faith a faith that can kind of endure and hang in there. Now, I know that that doesn't excite you much. I know that none of you, I'm pretty sure, have ever prayed, God, please give me persevering faith. None of us has ever. What we've always prayed is, is, God, would you take this mess away from me? Would you take this trouble away from me? Would you take these trials away from me? We've never prayed, God, give me persevering faith. And yet, when you read the Bible, and especially the words of Jesus, here's what you'll discover. That all throughout the Bible, God honors and blesses persevering faith when he sees it in his children. All throughout the Bible, anybody that hung in there for longer than you think, God blesses them and honors them with that. In fact, Jesus said this very famously in Matthew chapter 24, verse 13. He said, but the one, check this out, but the one who perseveres to the end, they will receive the prize. In Mark 13, 13, he said it a little different way. He said, but the one who perseveres to the end will be saved for all of eternity. Perseverance is huge in our faith. God always honors persevering faith. Faith that just hangs in there, and hangs in there, and hangs in there. Now, why is that? Why does God honor... Persevering faith, I'll tell you why. I think it's because persevering faith honors God. That when when we push through, he's like, oh, this brings glory to me. This brings glory to me. Think about it. The kind of faith that always gets a yes from God, that doesn't really impress me much. That doesn't impress me. It's kind of hocus pocus. I'm not sure where where it comes from. It's the kind of faith that, that impresses me most is the faith that gets a no from God or maybe even gets no answer from God, and yet it continues to go on. It continues to persevere. It continues to believe. It continues to hang in there. That's what impresses me. A faith that gets a yes from God all the time. You know, well, I just prayed on Monday and everything was perfect on Tuesday. Hallelujah. Well, I lost my job on Thursday and by Friday I had a bigger and better job. Praise God. And we look at that we're like, how did that happen? How did you do that? And they're like, well, I just prayed. I got down on my knees and I prayed and then I fasted and then I read my Bible and then boom, God came through for me. And we hear that and we look at that and, we're, and, and I think you know, that doesn't really make me want to uh, follow God more. What it wants me to do is it makes me want to follow their recipe. I'm like, tell me the formula that how you did that. How did you put that together? Give me the three steps of how you got what you got because I want to get what you got. Amen? And God hears this and he's like, oh man, are you kidding me? That, that doesn't really honor me. Let me tell you what honors me. It's the person that gets a No to their prayers and they still believe in me anyway. You want? I'll tell you what honors me. It's the person who, who gets a no and trusts me anyway. It's the person who says no and perseveres and continues to hang in there anyway. Amen? But I get it. I get it. None of us really want persevering faith, (laughs) especially if you have to go through a few trials to get it. I certainly, right? But I want you to remember that God always honors, God always blesses persevering faith because persevering faith honors him. It brings glory to him. And so um, James finally gets to his main point. This is the imperative In the Greek, this is the imperative. What he says here in verse 4, he says,
1: Therefore, let perseverance finish its work in you.
0: Again, what I said to you is that when we're going through troubles, our temptation is to think that God is absent, that he's apathetic, or that he's angry with us. I told you that God is at work. James is saying that. Perseverance, let perseverance. God is wanting perseverance to finish its work in you. God is at work in you. You can't see it. You may not know it. You can't feel it, but God is doing something. And James would say, sure, when things get hard, you can push the ejection button on your life. Sure, when things get hard, you can push the divorce button in your life. Sure, you can hit the bankruptcy button. You want to want to hit the alcohol button or the weed button, or whatever else gives you uh, peace, whichever relieves your pain in the midst of your troubles. You can push those buttons. but listen, don't. don't. Um, God is up to something. He is building a faith in you that will honor him, and it will inspire people around you. And so let perseverance finish.
1: It's work. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't bail out. Now, I want you to think about this and make it a little personal.
0: Because if what James is saying is true, um, then the greatest struggle in your life, my life, in fact, I want you to think about that. What is the greatest struggle that you have in your life right now? What is it that brings you down, that sucks the joy out of your life? What is that? Maybe it's something to do with your kids. Or maybe uh, it's your marriage. Or perhaps it's something with your health. I mean, whatever it is, whatever is consuming your thoughts, whatever is causing you to pray more. Maybe you don't even believe in God, and you find yourself kind of saying these prayers like, to whom it may concern, uh, I got a cross of Jesus, I got the star of David, and I got a rabbit's foot. Wherever you are, whoever you are, I need some help. I don't know what's going on, Right? is it possible that the greatest struggle in your life right now, I would suggest to you, if what James is saying is, that is probably the place that God is working the most in your life, even though it doesn't seem like that. It it may not seem like it because God is maybe silent right now. Or maybe because the process seems excruciatingly slow. Or things are just really hard. But if you will decide to let perseverance finish its work in you, James says that there is a joy that's on the other side of that. But I know the reality. The reality is is that when things have gotten too hard for us, when things have gotten too difficult for us,
1: we've often given up, quit, bailed out got out of that marriage, gave up on those dreams, maybe gave up on our faith, quit praying, quit
0: reading our Bible, quit going to church. And I I would suggest to you that if you and I were really honest about this, most of us, I know there are exceptions, but most of us would admit that bailing out did not make things better. It just made things harder, more difficult. I mean, I talk to people all the time that are coming back to faith or coming out of a difficult time and I've never heard anyone ever say, you know what, (laughs) my divorce was so great. (laughs) Can't wait for the next one. I've never heard that. I've never heard anyone say, oh, my bankruptcy, that was a lot of fun. And I've never heard anyone say, you know what, ever since I quit on God, I have just been a more peaceful more kind, more gentle, more generous person. It's just weird. I've never heard anybody say that. In fact, what I hear is the opposite. Most people come back and say, I should have never, should have never. I regret giving up. I regret bailing out. And here's what James would say. James would say, listen to me. Listen, um, God is not judging you. God is not angry with you. But don't make that mistake again. <laughs> Let Perseverance finish its work in you because at the end of the process your perseverance will bring honor to God and it will bring you to a better place. This is what he's saying. Again, it's not me, it's James. And so finally James concludes this little portion of his thoughts and he says this in verse 4 and and this is heavy and maybe you've never thought about this but boy this is heavy he says let perseverance finish its work in you so that this is conditional so that you may
1: be mature and complete and not lacking anything how many
0: of you feel like you're lacking things in your life two of us okay the rest of y'all good I think we always have a sense that there's something missing in our life. James just said, don't give up. Let perseverance finish work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Now, this is an interesting little phrase because there's a little bit of a wordplay going on here in the, in the Greek. In the Greek, the word for finish, okay, is the same word for complete. And so it's the same word. And so you could literally read that as let perseverance complete its work so that you may be complete. Wow, Wow. <laughs> let perseverance complete its work so that you may finally be complete. James is telling us that perseverance completes us. Like Jerry Maguire, you complete me. <laughs> perseverance completes us. And this is sobering
1: to think about, but if we don't let perseverance complete its work in us,
0: we will never be complete.
1: I don't like that.
0: And maybe you've asked some questions uh, in in your life. Maybe you're a new believer and you've been kind of walking this for a little while and you're like, Pastor Troy, what does it take to become a mature Christian? How do I become a mature Christian, able to stand on my own two feet and endure this? How do I become a mature Christian finally? You know what the answer James would say? Let perseverance finish its work in you. And you know what we would say? No, thank you. <laughs> seriously, isn't there another way that we can do this? You know, seriously, how do I how do I I wanna be mature, but I don't want to do that? I mean, can what if I just read my Bible more? What if I memorized some scriptures? Would that be that would be good? That would be great, and that would make you smarter, but that isn't gonna make you mature. That'd make you more biblically literate, but not more mature. You're like, well, what if I what if I start obeying the Ten Commandments? What if I start following all the rules? Would that make me more mature? It will, it will it'll be good. It will make you obedient. But it's not going to make you mature. <laughs> I know that this is not the idea and the vision that you and I grew up with, especially if you grew up in church. Because in church, we were told that the person that was the most mature had the best behavior. They were the most put together. They knew all the right words. That's how we looked at that. In fact, the Bible is clear. You might want to write this down and get this in your heart. Spiritual maturity is measured by persevering faith and not perfect behavior. See, we've often in church kind of looked at the person who's got the whole thing going on, they're rolling, they know all the right words, and they're just perfect and perfect, and we think, oh, they're mature. But the Bible says, no, no, no. Maturity comes through persevering faith, enduring difficult things, going through tough seasons, and hanging in there. That's mature faith, according to the Word. Only... Those who persevere to the end will be saved. Not only those who are perfect, only those who persevere. You know, we know this instinctively, especially when we run into certain people, that there is something about perseverance that makes us deeper and makes us stronger and makes us in some ways more winsome to people around us. Let me put it this way. For example, have you ever met
1: a Christian that was so good, that was so good, that it was kind of sickening? Not in this church, clearly.
0: <laughs> but have you ever met just someone that was just on it, and they were just so good, and it just was like, mm. you know, and, and, and And you talk to them, and you're like, you don't ever do that? And they're like, I never do that. And you're like, you always do this. And they're like, um, I always do that. And you're like, this conversation is, I don't ever do that. And I always do this. And I don't ever do this. And I always do that. And you just listen to that. And you're like, wow. And, and you look at them. And, and you can't really connect with them. You're like, wow. And you look at them. And it's kind of like going to the zoo and looking at and You're like, honey, come take a look at this. This person's never done anything wrong. They're perfect. Take a picture. And and you're not being critical. It's not about being judgmental or critical. In fact, you probably admire their morality, you admire their purity, but they're not really human. I mean, you get below and you peel off a few layers and you get down to what motivates them, and you're like, oh, I see why you're such a good person. You've had such a good life. You haven't had any troubles. Everything's been wonderful you. Man, you've got your formulas down. You know it. If I'd had a good life like you, I'd be a good person too. The point I'm trying to make is, is that when we look at people like that, whose families are perfect, whose hair is perfect, and whose faith is perfect, we're not really inspired much by them. We're more intimidated by them. Right? We're like, ah. But then you and I can meet a different kind of Christian. A Christian who's maybe a little rough, around the edges. Got a few tattoos. They don't talk the way other Christians talk. They don't use Sunday school language. They got a little different language, a little profanity sometimes. They don't have a Sunday school story that they tell you. In fact, the story that they'll tell you and and they've been through, you'll hear is that they've been to hell and back. They've been through some hard times. And They've got some scars. They've got some junk in their trunk. But they've also got a confidence in God that is so deep and it is so real that it's attractive and it's inspiring to you. You're like, wow, there's something going on. And then they tell you their story. They tell you how God one day led them right down to the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, and he made them camp there for a long time. And they were just there. And they were there,
1: and it got worse, and it got worse.
0: And finally, at some point, maybe a few months later, or a few years later, God brought them out of that. And as you listen to their story with their non-Sunday school language, (laughs) you start to think to yourself,
1: oh my God,
0: I'm (laughs) I'm just glad to know that such faith exists. I'm so glad to know that somebody could face those kind of trials and still come out the other side believing in God, right? And then they'll say things to you like, you know, um, I would never, I would never want to go through that ever again. But I would never trade it for anything in the world because of what
1: God did in me. What God did and changed in me and showed me. You and
0: I, when we run into people like that, we're awed by them a little bit. Um, not, we're not awed by their, their Bible knowledge or their obedience to God. We're awed by their confidence in God. We're, we're awed by their trust and their faith in God because it's so deep. And we wonder to ourselves, we wonder to ourselves, if, if
1: I had gone through that, if I had lost a child or if my wife or if I had gotten that cancer would I still believe? Would I? And you wonder how? How how did they do that? The answer is simple, my friend. They allowed perseverance to finish its work in them. They are complete. They are, in God's eyes, perfected. They have
0: everything they need. And and they're not perfected by their perfect behavior, they are perfected by their persevering faith. And when they went down to the valley of the shadow of death, they didn't hit the eject button, they didn't give up, they didn't bail out. Instead, they said, God,
1: come hell or high water. I'm sticking with you anyway. I'm going to keep on keeping on.
0: I'm telling you, my friends, what God does through a man or a woman who perseveres through their trials, it's inspiring. It moves us. It it, it shakes us to the core. And And one of the things it does is it shakes unbelievers to the core. It removes all of their excuses for not wanting to follow God
1: when they see that. God honors persevering faith because persevering faith glorifies and honors him. And I think about that. And I think about all you. And I think about all of you who went through this horrible nightmare of a year with us. And I think about
0: all the challenges to your faith and all the difficulties that
1: you faced financially, relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. And yet, here you are. Here you are, (laughs) right?
0: I mean, almost one year to the day after we said, the church is
1: closed. Here you are. Here you are together again, worshiping. And celebrating
0: your God with grateful hearts. I'm proud of you guys. And I know that God is proud of you too. And I sense that our community is completely mystified by you. They don't understand this at all. They can't reconcile. They are, they are blown away by your faithfulness to God in the midst of these difficult circumstances. But looking back, if we could look back at this last year, I don't think any of us, I know this, I don't think any of us would say, gosh, I am so glad that we had that pandemic. That was great sitting in my living room for months on end. I'm so glad that they shut down all the businesses and they shut down all the churches. I don't think any of us would say that. But I do think that some of us would say this, God, I am so glad that I didn't give up. I am so glad that I hung in there. I'm so glad that I stayed on my knees and I stayed in my Bible and that I looked for opportunities to help and serve my neighbors and I looked for opportunities to be able to share my faith whenever the opportunity arose. I'm so glad that I did that. I don't know about you, but I would never want to go through last year again. Amen? Amen? But I would never trade what God
1: did inside of me because I am stronger, I am deeper, and I am more. Mature. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials
0: of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work in you so that you may be found
1: mature and complete not lacking anything. Amen? Amen. 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 Well,
0: in recognition uh, of the fact that we are entering into this Holy Week, we're going to be celebrating, obviously, the resurrection next, next weekend. Um, but this is the week that a lot of things happened to Jesus, and, uh, and so I thought it was appropriate for us as a church to celebrate communion together this morning for the first time in over a year. Hallelujah, amen. (laughs) And if you're new with us this morning or you're new to this faith, I just wanna remind you that communion is simply an opportunity for you and I to remember what Jesus did for us, to remember that his body was broken and nailed to that cross for us, to remember that his blood was shed for our sins, not his, but for ours. And if you would like to this morning, Uh, to ask Jesus to be your Lord, to be your Savior. In a moment, I want to invite you to take the bread and remember his broken body and to, to take the cup that represents his blood. And I want you to ask him two very simple things. Ask him to forgive you for your sins and then thank him for taking your place on the cross. That's what this is about That's what this is about. Let me read you a scripture as the band comes out here. One last scripture. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2, said this. Put this up if you would. He said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, which is what we're going to do for these next few moments. Who, now check this out, is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Who, now this is very similar to what James said, who for the joy set before him endured, persevered, persevered through the cross. Now, there was no joy in the cross, I promise you that. But there was joy on the other side of the cross because of what that perseverance would produce in his life and in our lives, amen? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and then he sat down. Look at how God honored him. God had him sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. God
1: honors persevering faith because persevering faith honors God. Amen? Amen. I want to
0: invite you to take communion maybe by yourself or with your family as the band comes and closes with this song. If you need one of these, raise your hand and our attendants will bring one. Father, thank you. Thank you for getting us through this year, carrying us through this most difficult season that any of us have probably ever experienced and none of us ever imagined and certainly none of us deserved. But I thank you that you've done something in each one of us. I thank you that you have helped us persevere and uh, and that there's something new inside of us. And I pray that you would help us recognize that that we are stronger, we are deeper, we have some stories and we are more mature and we are more complete than we've ever been before. And Father, we look to Jesus when we go through difficult times, we consider him, we put our eyes on him who endured the cross for the joy set before him. Mm. He persevered, God, through that. If he can do that, you can help us get through ours. So, Father, this morning we thank you for what Jesus did on the cross. We thank you for his body being broken and his blood being shed so that we could be saved for all of eternity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.